Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and we're back with the Times Radio Focus Group in association with Kex CNC. We ask a panel of uh, swing voters, they voted Conservative or Labour in 2019, they're now undecided, and we ask them what they think about Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, the cost of living crisis, the situation in Ukraine and Partygate on the day that it was confirmed that 20 fines have already been issued to people in government for breaking lockdown rules. That's coming up in just a moment. First, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. No David Aronovich this week. He's still away at his spa break. So instead, Daniel Finkelstein is joined by Oliver Cam. Well, let's start with the story that will delight half of the listeners and annoy the other half. Uh, but it is the most new of the stories. Uh, Partygate. Uh, 20 fines have, uh, have been issued, the Met say, although we think it's to the people who didn't contest uh, their involvement in parties. So it probably doesn't involve the Prime Minister. Um, Danny, we've talked a lot before about the, the, I can't remember what we called it, the Finkelstein theory, the tipping point. None of this matters until it does matter. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has slightly overshadowed things. Do you think we are heading back towards a, another point of trouble for the Prime Minister? Uh, it's difficult to say. I do think it's changed fundamentally. It hasn't really changed for me. My argument is we live in a parliamentary democracy, not a presidential one. Um, the leadership of our country depends on the resolve of people in general and a parliament um, in general. And we have to be able to make sensible decisions about our own democracy, not influenced by aggressive acts of, of Vladimir Putin. So it hasn't changed for me. Um, but that's a question of my opinion, not of my judgment about uh, the situation. My, my judgment is it probably has changed the situation for the Prime Minister. Generally speaking, and this is actually a view I share, uh, I think his handling of uh, the uh, Ukraine um, episode has been very good. Uh, and um, in general, I've had disagreements such as our policy on refugees, but in general, I think it's been very good. And uh, it is also obviously the case that uh, President Zelensky thinks so. Uh, and broadly speaking, it's shared by people in uh, Ukraine, uh, his uh, crass statements about Brexit in Ukraine notwithstanding. Um, I don't think uh, so. I, and I think that will be the view of Conservative MPs. And I suspect it's even if he did get one of these fines now, it probably wouldn't prove fatal to him as it would have done at the time. In politics, timing is everything. And um, he had a theory which, you know, even at the time I thought maybe right. If he holds out, he never knows what will come. And uh, indeed, it did. Uh, indeed, that theory came right for him. I suppose there's a separate point, though, isn't there, Oliver? The, the, the Conservative MPs might conclude this is a fine and they can ride it out. Voters might take a different view. Yes, I, I listened with great interest to everything Danny said. It's all very wise, but I do subscribe to the initial Finkelstein theory, which is that everything is um, capable of being ridden out until it isn't. And it's not long ago that people were confined to their homes and voluntarily complied with draconian legislation in the interests of public welfare. And it is beyond argument that the people administering, not only administering, but creating the rules, did not observe the same uh, legal requirements, not just proprieties, but legal requirements. That's a devastating indictment of the Prime Minister and of uh, of the Cabinet Office. Um, And if it doesn't, um, at the moment, um, have the same political traction because of this immense international crisis, well, I think Conservative MPs would be 
um, uh, fooling themselves to think that it will it will simply go away. It's a, and 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 the the fact that the Ukraine war is of such immense humanitarian and geopolitical moment should not um, dissuade us from examining it. I, I hear all the time the idea that the Prime Minister is doing a good job, and I broadly agree that he is in this momentous international crisis, but it does not overshadow the scandal of the way that Downing Street has behaved. Just to be, just to, to be emphatic and clear, and sure we don't get into an intellectual misunderstanding, <laughs> I share your view about that. Um, but I, but but that wasn't the question that Matt asked me. The question that Matt asked me was, did I think uh, it was still the same issue for him as it had been at the time? Now I think public opinion uh, changed fundamentally about him as a result of that episode that that is likely and I wrote this at the time to be quite durable um but uh, that the, the but I was asked for a judgment about what might happen immediately and I suspect as his immediate future is dependent upon Conservative MPs, that the judgment of Conservative MPs, not my judgment, but the judgment of Conservative MPs may well have changed. And therefore, he, um, it, it, this is a politically more propitious moment for him to receive these fines than would have been the case if we'd had them uh, immediately. But just to be clear, that's not my view. It is my judgment about the view of others. So suppose the other thing we've got, we're, we're what, uh, about six weeks away from some local elections. And actually, even if Conservative, you know, we're potentially, you know, two years away from a general election. But if uh, some Labour council, if some Labour starts seem to be making some gains, particularly in some of those northern seats uh, and so on, that could focus them. Nothing focuses the mind of a Conservative MP, Oliver, like uh, self-preservation. And uh, if if voters, you know, if between now and then we get some more fines, potentially even a fine for the Prime Minister, if voters use that as an opportunity to send a message to number 10, they're still actually quite cross about this, and no matter how much you talk, try to change the subject, that could focus minds. Yes, nothing, as you rightly say, matters more to incumbent MPs than the prospect of losing office, both as a government um, or, or as a member of parliament. It does not feel to me, I'm not as close to domestic party politics as Danny, but it doesn't feel to me as if we're at that tipping point. Um, There's no sense that Keir Starmer, who I think is doing a very creditable job in elevating Labour from electoral oblivion and indeed moral obloquy under Jeremy Corbyn, there's no real sense that the electorate has coalesced around the idea that he is... Um, that he's that he's a winner, let alone a visionary Labour leader. There's no sense that he's like Tony Blair in that respect, even though they are both um, Islington lawyers. Um, uh, but there may be something going on underneath um, in in parts of the country that have not previously um, been Labour. Um, yeah. We're seeing shifts, um, some surprising Labour gains are cropping up um, in the south of the country. Um, perhaps there's uh, some wider shift in opinion and demography that we're overlooking. The fact that London over the last couple of decades has become a very safe Labour city, which it wasn't when Danny and I first became interested in politics. Um, so there may be something going on, but I can only sense it. I yeah. don't actually see the evidence for it, and so I suspect he's safe. Well, and actually, we've got the focus group coming up um, in a bit, and the thing that's striking from that is the big change we've seen. We've been doing it since Times Radio launched, so almost two years now. And for a long period of that, every time we did the focus group, uh, the and they were swing voters, undecided voters, former, some former Tories, some former Labour, 
And uh, they consistently said Boris Johnson was doing a good job of the pandemic. He should be given the benefit of the doubt. It was a terrible thing that he was left to hold and, you know, nobody made a good... And people used to say, oh, it's terrible. Where have you found all these Tories from? And that was just the, the sense of the public mood. The past two, so we've got this one coming up, the one last month as well, was terrible for Boris Johnson. Like, across the board, they said he should have resigned. Partygate had made them very angry. But you're right, Oliver, that there isn't, at the same time, that seesaw isn't happening for Keir Starmer. There's still a bit of either but, unease or indifference about Keir Starmer. Don't forget that the other big issue, and it's still coming down the track, is standard of living. That yeah. is the most important determinant of elections, and a lot depends on the timing. So let's just let's just take the timing on these uh, fines. Um, the, when, if you'd received them at the time when the issue became... Uh, salient uh, originally uh, he possibly would have had to resign i think he possibly probably would have done now uh, i suspect he wouldn't uh, however if he were to receive this uh, fine in the second week in may the timing would be completely different so um, there's a short-term aspect to politics but there's also a long-term aspect to politics which is where will incomes go and i remember talking to George Osborne about being booed at the Olympics. And he just said to me, you know, well, if you're the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the economy is not uh, growing and uh, it, real incomes are being squeezed, uh, people boo the Chancellor of the Exchequer. That's just what happens. In fact, Richard Sunak's experiencing that a little bit at the moment, not quite to the same extent as either Boris Johnson or George Osborne, but to some extent. And so um, that is still coming down the track. So a lot of things in politics depend on timing. A lot depend on long-term uh, on long-term trends. And it's very difficult to predict what will happen if he ultimately gets fined, because we simply don't know when that's going to be and we don't know uh, what the political atmosphere will be at that moment. So, uh, Danny, you'd advise Rishi Sunak not to present any medals at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham this summer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I knew when George did it that there was uh, that there had been two things going on in his head. One would have been uh, being abashed at being booed. He had his children there. It's not a very pleasant experience um and the other would have been the experience of uh, presenting medals at the in the olympic stadium i think he'll have enjoyed doing that <laughs> well obviously that's the calculation that goes you know you, you if you're a politician you're you you know you know that you're not universally loved but you're weighing up yeah but it is presenting medals at the paralympics isn't it so you know well dennis healy always made a joke out of this he made a joke out of the notion that he was despised um, in the country because of the tremendous economic rigours of the uh, of the 1970s. And yet he was Labour's lost leader. He had a popular touch as well as a great intellectual breadth um, that tragically never, never, never uh, saw him lead the Labour Party. Um, let's turn our attention to the situation in Ukraine. Um, the prospect of peace talks, which currently seems to be dominated by this sort of James Bond-esque attempted poisoning of, of Roman Abramovich and Ukrainian negotiators. What do you make of this, Oliver? Should we be getting the very existence of potential peace talks? Is that a reason for optimism? No, it isn't. At best, and the Ukrainian foreign minister himself has said this, this set of talks um, uh, brokered by Turkey it will amount to some sort of humanitarian relief. And... Uh, the, the prospect of a ceasefire is um, theoretically conceivable, but very unlikely. And even the problem with humanitarian relief and some agreement upon it is that we know that Russian forces uh, simply don't observe the conditions. Mm. They bomb uh, the supposed humanitarian corridors. And this is not a mistake. This is not um, uh, mistargeting. This is what Russian military forces have done 
ever since Putin came into the Syrian war on the side of the Assad despotism, deliberately targeting um, uh, humanitarian convoys, uh, hospitals, schools and other residential areas. And this is precisely what they're doing in Ukraine. And there is no way you can negotiate away depraved behaviour like that. It has to be defeated, which the Ukrainian armed forces are heroically attempting to do and which it is our moral obligation in the Western democracies to support. Uh, Danny, is that the only way to end this war? It won't be through peace talks, it'll be through a Ukrainian or Russian victory one way or the other? Well, my, my view is that most peace uh, uh, ends up because one side or another realises that it can't um, obtain anything through uh, further further its objectives through war. And if you look at the Irish uh, peace process, in the end, it was because the IRA regarded itself as being having so been infiltrated by the security services that it could no longer uh, continue its uh, campaigns. And 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 um, the truth is that when one side or when both sides think uh, there's continued gain that's possible from continued fighting, they'll continue fighting so I'm a bit of pessimist about that and I'm afraid I'm remain a pessimist at the moment about um about what what happens uh what's happening in Ukraine um and uh, I do think it'll be it'll only will only really get a settlement when one sort or the other and hopefully it's the Ukrainians rather than the Russians believe that they've exhausted what gains they can possibly make out of further military action and I don't think the Russians have reached that point yet um, what about Joe Joe Biden? What do we make of Joe Biden, uh, Danny? The 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 um, he cannot be allowed to remain in power. No, I'm not calling for regime change. Telling U.S. troops, you'll see when you get there. No, I'm not sending U.S. troops. Um, uh, the use of chemical weapons will respond in kind. We're not actually threatened to use chemical weapons. Um, is this just? Is it? Is a bit? It feels a bit to me like. Uh, what happens to a politician if they're if one, one gaffe or they make one mistake or they're on the way down a bit and then everything they do looks bad? It's a bit like the Ed Miliband Joe thing. Joe um, has been doing this his entire career. That's the <laughs> most important thing to understand about him, right? I mean, it's one of the reasons why he didn't become president for such a long time until uh, he, was a po- he was facing an opponent who made more gaffes than he did, which seemed almost impossible. Uh, and, you know, if you watch, if you watch um, it, it's a staple of journalism, was 10 top gaffes by uh, Joe Biden. In, in, in um, Osama bin Laden's, um, Evan Osnos in his biography of Joe Biden says, in Osama bin Laden's hideaway, they found a piece of paper uh, in which he, Osama bin Laden issued an instruction to try to assassinate um, uh, Osama uh, Barack Obama, uh, but not assassinate Joe Biden because he wasn't up uh, to the office. Um, I take a, a, a more a favourable view of uh, Joe Biden than that, uh, but I do. I have always, you know, it has always been a weakness of his that he runs off at the mouth. Um, I'm more concerned about the long-term future of uh, the United States commitment to NATO than I am about Joe Biden's immediate um, uh, errors even though I think his immediate errors are, um, of leadership are, are, are a concern. What do you make of Joe Biden? Should we worry about Joe Biden's errors? Are they a problem, Oliver? I suppose they are if they accidentally escalate a war. I'm more sanguine than that, and I agree with uh, Danny's assessment. Um, Joe Biden, people first speculated about him as an imminent president, not just a possible president, back in for the 1988 contest when he 
um, withdrew after being found to have uh, plagiarised the words, um, yeah, not of, of um, no, not of Moliere or, or Shakespeare, <laughs> but of Neil Kinnock, um, <laughs> which showed a, a, a curious lack of judgment. I, like Danny, I have a a more generous view of Biden as an international actor than is um, coming out through his verbal infelicities at the moment. Don't forget that um, in the, um, up to now, the most brutal war in the European continent since 1945, um, the um, Serb um, invasion of Bosnia in 1992, we're just coming up to the 30th anniversary, Mm. Um, Biden was very early and very right in spotting the the destabilising nature of this for the region, uh, for the Western alliance, and the tremendous humanitarian costs Mm. of this uh, war of aggression, and the same was true of Kosovo. Um, His judgment is not always poor. Sometimes it is, but sometimes he's been very right. And like Danny, I fear above all not um, – I don't have this fear with this president, but I do if um, Donald Trump is returned um, for another period of office – of the United States' commitment to the transatlantic alliance. Um, the United States is the linchpin of um, Western security and the system of collective security – uh, of the NATO alliance founded in 1949 uh, on which the security of Western Europe uh, has depended and the liberty of Central and Eastern Europe has derived is, I think, terrifyingly in the balance. Well, we'll see how that... But yeah, you can't... Yes, it doesn't bear thinking about whether if we've been in this situation while Donald Trump was still in the White House. Um, just because we've seen pictures, uh, I think, of the Queen arriving at this uh, memorial service uh, at uh, Westminster Abbey uh, to to remember Prince Philip. There's something interesting in the, the sort of, and I know he, you know, there'd probably been a memorial service anyway because uh, the more famous people uh, tend to get them. But this, the sort of the post-COVID funeral, the re the re remembering a memorial, you know, a memorial at a later date. There's something quite nice about this, isn't there? Yes, there is. There's something there's something moving and appropriate about it, and. Um, in the case of both Danny and and me, our, our um, mothers uh, respectively uh, died relatively recently. And in the case of my mother, who was a, a literary figure, we had a secular memorial service for her um, many months later. And I found it a more joyous and um, I found it a more joyous occasion than the funeral itself. It was a celebration rather than um, uh, a wake. And um, um, and I hope the Queen, who is uh, obviously um, physically ailing um, at her advanced age, gains great solace from it. I'm, I'm sure she will. Yeah, enjoy is probably the, the, the wrong word, but hopefully that's 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 something. What about you, Danny? Well, we the Jews t- tend to have um, what's called a shiva, which is uh, several nights of memorial just after the person um, dies, and and they can often be. Um, much more consoling events than uh, the funerals themselves. I, I was with funerals. I never liked it. Uh, if, if it had been up to me, I wouldn't have attended it. But because I, I, uh, I just find the whole thing just really quite distressing. Um, but uh, but the the shivers um, a completely different uh, thing. So um, yeah, finding a way of uh, celebrating commemorating life that isn't somebody's immediate uh, funeral, I think, is a very good thing. Yes, it seems like a nice thing. I mean, just finally, let's round off. Do we need to know what politicians think about Will Smith? They mm. were sort of falling over themselves one way or the other. Does it matter, Oliver? 
Um, the issue matters, but of course we do not need to know what politicians think <laughs> on the matter. I wish that a politician would say in answer, uh, well, not only not say, but but simply refrain from saying uh, anything on issues that are not within their remit whatsoever. Um, it, 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 it does not. It does not matter. Um, uh, and the the division between um, civic affairs and political affairs, are, or, or entertainment and political and civic affairs, should be should be absolute. So I think on this rare occasion, I think you're wrong, Oliver. Actually, I think some that, division um, at the very end. But, no, because I think it matters. I think it's very interesting to know whether if somebody regards violence as an appropriate response. I learned quite a lot from those people who thought I will. What you should do is what what Will Smith should have done is clock him one for um, insulting uh, his partner, and I, I thought that was an extraordinary response. And so and and, and it was very. Um, very illuminating when people uh, took that response because it's obviously wholly inappropriate to do that. Uh, so I learned quite a lot. Sometimes I think you can learn quite a lot from these things, more than you can learn by asking their opinion on, you know, local taxation, which probably comes off a piece of paper given them my central office. <laughs> well, let's let's leave it there before we fall out fully. Oliver Cam and Daniel Finkelstein then, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a digital subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is the Focus Group. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. Every month here on Times Ready, since we launched, we've run a focus group. And it's time for this month's uh, focus group. Uh, we do it in association with global communications firm Keck CNC. Uh, no James Johnson this week, but his colleague Tom Lubbock uh, joins me now because Tom was in the chair for the focus group last night. Hi, Tom. Hi, Matt. Thanks for letting me step into James's big shoes. Well, it's very nice to have you here. Um, first of all, and it's the first time you've done it, James could do it. I think James does it in his sleep. Explain for us what a focus group is and what a focus group isn't. Let's hope our two answers match up. Um, a focus group is when we sit down a group of voters in a room and do a deeper dive into what they're thinking. So a deeper dive into how they're answering polling questions, what they think about the government and what they think about political figures. And then we get a chance for a discussion as well. So we get to um, drill deeper into the views they have about um, all these issues that we talk about. And uh, just talking to who, who were we talking to last night? What were the, where, where were the voters? How were they chosen? Uh, where were they from? Um, they're from Bristol, Doncaster and Derby. And um, they're chosen because they're undecided at the moment. And we had four who'd voted Conservative last time and three who voted Labour. 
Very good. Very good. So it's a mixed bag as across the country. Yeah. A good selection of regional accents as well, which we always like. Um, so yeah. let's kick off. I mean, we, 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 we work, you worked on a whole load of stuff. Ukraine, the cost of living, the spring statement, the price of petrol, bit of party gate cropped up as well. Uh, but let's kick off, as we always do, uh, with just an initial assessment of asking, asking the, the panel, how do you think the government are doing? Who knows what it would be like to do their job? I mean, they're trying to do their best and please everyone and... Maybe they could do better with the fuel prices. They're doing a job that I wouldn't like to be doing. It's a thankless one at present. I don't know, to be honest. Totally honest, I, I am a Tory voter, or always have been. But this time round, or next time round, I don't think I will be. Time for right. change. I think this war coming along has saved him in a way. It's took the onus off, hasn't it? Party gate, as they call it. I think what he did there was absolutely abysmal and he should be made to answer for it. And I think this war coming along, everything's gone on the back burner. Understandably, war is far more important. We've got to get this lot sorted out. I understand that fully. But as soon as it is sorted out, he should come back and answer for his deeds. Not just him either, everybody else at the parties. I think... For probably for workers, they're doing a, a reasonable job. They're juggling a lot of balls at the moment and they don't have a lot of money to play with because of the pandemic. So they've tried to address the big issues of the day, which are fuel, uh, uh, heating, poverty, and trying to tackle probably the tax NI problem. So they're juggling that, but at the same time, they've left people like uh, people on benefits and pensioners out of most of the help. So it's a bit difficult. I would say not a very good job. I'll give you one example. Richie Sunak, he's at the petrol station filling his car up. Really is that his car he's filling up, he's staged. Um, and then also there was the thing about his wife having shares in a Russian company as well. So you can't be preaching and putting sanctions on things if you haven't got your own house in order first. So, um, yeah, I, and Boris and that is just that they tell lies and then they're trying to cover it up. So I've always voted Conservative, but I'm seriously thinking different next time, potentially. I'm just not sure. Uh, you know, are they doing a good job or a bad job? I think they're just doing a job. You know, there's there's always going to be people that think on either side of the fence you know what I mean I think overall like bad job especially again like all the more recent stuff I've not again I've tried to avoid the noise the news too much lately so I'm not up to speed with the latest stuff but like in terms of covid and like lockdown and that I think um hand could have handled it a lot better to be honest and like with the party and that, I just mean overall there's a lot of like hypocrisy I don't think they're doing a job at all I just think they're winging it to be honest they just don't seem to do know exactly what they're doing at all it's like they've never been in politics in their lives well there we are quite a mixed bag it has to be said uh tom um in fact as soon as that clip started somebody texted in i'm grinding my teeth already i assume that's someone who thinks that we always find people who give the government the benefit of the doubt that was definitely the case for the probably the first 12 months was doing the focus group there's been a shift there though hasn't there you've got some people still saying you know, it's a hard old job. Who'd want to be the prime minister in a pandemic and a war? And yet others, including long-time Tory voters, just starting to get a sense that maybe they want a time for a change. Yeah, exactly, Matt. There's something for everybody in there. 
But the real takeaway from those clips, I thought, was that voters can walk and chew gum at the same time. They're happy to say the government had got a difficult job. They thought that throughout the pandemic, as you say. But at the same time, they can still keep in the back of their minds this Partygate story. They haven't forgotten it. It's still there. And I think we'll talk about it a bit more later. But they can they can acknowledge that the government have got a difficult job to do and that in some areas they're doing a good job. And on Ukraine, there was definitely that sense of uh, they've got the right tone. They're doing the right things um, on the cost of living. They also acknowledge that it's not a job they'd want to be in government at this point in time. But really, there's still that anger bubbling away below the surface. And much as Westminster journalists often pursue one story at a time, so they'll move on to the next thing, maybe come back to another story. Voters can walk and chew gum at the same time. They've got all these things that they're juggling. And that's the thing is it is possible, as you know, somebody was texting in earlier on saying, why are you, t- why are you talking about Partygate and not Ukraine? Unfortunately, the message came through while we were talking about Ukraine. But it is possible to discuss two things at once and to, and to follow several stories at once. Uh, let's focus just briefly on, on the question of Partygate because we did the last focus group a month ago. We didn't actually use most of it on the air because uh, it was, came literally just as the Russia invaded Ukraine. That one was terrible for Boris Johnson and it came to uh, the, the, the Partygate. Um, which had been a big change. We just sort of pulled together because part you didn't really have to ask about it. it just kept you know no. coming up all the time organically. So these are some of the other comments the, the the panel had to say about the question of parties in number ten. Why did he have a party when people were dying in hospital and we weren't allowed to go and see them? Why should Please. he get away? With it? I think it's the the most perfect distraction um, away from Boris's mad wine nights. You know, the, the timing of it for Boris Johnson could not have come at a better time, could it? I mean, you know, it, just looking back, it was literally a few weeks ago. That was the biggest scandal that, you know, I can remember in, in a long time. You know, Boris and his wine and his cheese and his whatever Christmas parties, this and whatever. And then, you know, it's like, right, there's a war. We're not talking about that. So, Tom, do you think that, I suppose you it's sort of slightly touched on it, the, 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 the damage caused by Partygate, uh, as we call it, has locked in. That actually, rather than voters moving on to worry about cost of living in Ukraine, it's just sort of, it's, it's a sort of uh, frozen in time, if you like, their view on Boris Johnson. Yeah, Matt, that's exactly right. Boris, I think, has been in suspended animation since the start of the war in Ukraine. Um Voters are holding their fire because of what they see as a kind of urgent international relations problem. But there's no way they've forgotten it. Um, You know, we go into these groups uh, expecting the story to move on. We always think we, we, we know full well that voters' attention spans very short. Most things don't really cut through. Um, And so you always go into a new set of groups expecting voters to have moved on to the next issue. But in this case, and I think you saw this right at the beginning, it just absolutely cut through to the core of everything people thought about the pandemic, all the sacrifices they were making. And there's just no shifting that. I'm sorry, there's just um, no way that's going to change in the the medium term unless something extraordinary were to happen. And it hasn't happened yet. And we should explain, you used to do polling and focus groups for the Conservative yeah. Party you work with. So yeah. you, you do these all the time. So you All you, the time, yeah. And this is the same message you're picking up. Well, let's drill in a bit more into Boris Johnson. And you asked them to sum up their thoughts on Boris Johnson in a word or a phrase. Let's take a listen. 
when he's sweating the small stuff, the domestic uh, policies, he doesn't do very well and is come across as someone who says one thing and does another thing. For example, all the parties and all the other domestic issues and probably the double standards amongst his politicians, but it's the same on both sides. But when it comes to Boris, the international statesman, he's a lot more assured, he's a, he's a lot more polished, and although some countries don't like him, he has got a good grasp of the Ukraine situation. I, I, th- I think he's got no credibility, he's lost control, and I just think, I, I just use one word to sum him up, uh, uh, that's a buffoon. I think Boris is a joke. There's almost no words, he's just an absolute chump. I can't disagree with any of the last few statements. I think the man's a buffoon, a joke, an idiot, but worst of all, a liar. I think he's pathetic, really, and he can't run a country. Uh, I think he's a hypocritical clown. Well, uh, Tom, we've heard a lot of those uh, before, buffoon and clown and so on. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, I thought it was an interesting distinction the first person was making, about domestically he's a bit all over the place, but he's doing a good job internationally you know but you know there does seem to be this acceptance that britain's response to ukraine there's a different question about the refugees but the military response the support for president zelensky who has praised britain's response people are drawing that distinction between sort of a home and away ultimately which though will play a part in deciding how people vote i mean it's fair to say that domestic politics tends to override foreign affairs when it comes to voting intention yeah, uh, it's exactly right. We can we can only really go on what these voters are saying. And it's, they do give a very, very unusual picture of how they see politics at the moment. They see it on these kind of twin tracks, the domestic and the foreign policy, as you say. And I mean, it's not one that I've seen in my lifetime, really. Um, uh, not not since going going into work in politics. It's very, very strange. Um, who knows which one will win out in the end? My suspicion is that um, for elections, uh, Ukraine is not going to be a top three issue, um, but we can o- we can only keep doing these groups and see what see what people say. Well, that's what they thought of Boris Johnson in a sentence. Yeah. Uh, it seems only right and fair uh, um, that we hear now what they think of. Well, in fact, somebody's just uh, texted in. Uh, Times already going on to party, getting a load of left wing voters on a panel. Well, let's find out what they think of Keir Starmer. Reason, I'll use the word reasonable. Um, he's quite down to earth, and he's got quite um, a, le- a level head on him. He doesn't seem to get sort of trying to show off or anything like that. So I, I would have him. Yeah, I, I would potentially vote for him. I think Keir is a flip flopper. Honestly, think he's the wrong leader to lead Labour back to power. To be honest, I don't really know what he's doing at the moment. But I think if I had to sort of like you know boil it down to like a word or a phrase, a sentence, is is nothing but argumentative and a little bit arrogant. I always get the vibe. It's indifferent. I think he's trying. He's trying very hard to discredit the other side, as they do. But what's he got to offer in real terms? Not in cuckoo world, in real terms. Again, I'm not too updated on what he's done lately. I'm still kind of indifferent, I'd say, I suppose. But yeah, I don't think I'd be voting for him anytime soon. 
Uh, well, I think he's obviously trying to impress, um, but that's the game they play. But I think his background is a bit more uh, on our level. So maybe that would make me vote for him. Not too bad of a job. I just find him a bit arrogant. and I can't gel to this one. I really can't. So we're not a ringing endorsement of Keir Starmer there, Tom. And I suppose the, the interesting thing is as a reminder that just that, that politics isn't always a seesaw, uh, particularly when it comes to the leaders. Just because voters have issues with Boris Johnson doesn't automatically help the Labour Party. And there's a risk in the Labour Party thinking uh, that, that Boris Johnson's on the wane, therefore that will lead to a uh, level of support for them. Yeah, very tentative um, support for Keir Starmer you heard there. Um, definitely not pulling up any trees with these voters. Um, I think in some ways it's good news for Labour because they all had a view about Keir Starmer and nobody really, apart from um, the first person we heard from, had a really strongly negative view. So that's all in the positive column for Labour. But if you want, if Labour want to get this, particularly the four Conservatives we had in that group, um, the four 2019 Conservatives, to switch over to Labour, they're going to have to offer something positive that really chimes with these voters. And you can hear from that 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 has not happened yet. Well, yeah, and we'll see, um, uh, I suppose, over time. Rishi, um, Keir Starmer needs to try and sort of cement that, uh, turn that into a positive a positive uh, vote for him rather than a negative vote against the Conservatives. Tom, let's turn our attention now to probably the, the thing it's the forefront of, of voters' minds right now. It's the cost of living crisis, the price of petrol, your energy bills, your gas bills, everything, the price of everything is going up. Uh, and you asked them in particular uh, what they were concerned about. I'd say the one that worries me the most is just like energy bills, really. That's mm. the one that's just always like kind of in the back of my mind. Well, it was food. Um, it still is food, but now it's fuel because um, obviously I need to get to work for fuel um, to pay for the food. So it is food and fuel for me. Fuel, well, fuel goes up. Everything goes up. Everything is going up. Yeah, fuel, definitely. Food. Yeah, I haven't noticed the gas and electric yet because I pay monthly and I don't think it's really changed as yet. The, the, with the gas and electric going up in April and again in October, you know, I think a lot of households would probably in probably in for five grand with the fuel rise plus the gas and electric come October, which will be just unsustainable. What do you think? They've got to step in and help because half the nation is going to go under. I would disagree um, in, in some ways. Yeah, we are where we are. Um, if we start giving pay rises or whatever, like 10%, then inflation is going to carry on going like that. So we have, we're going to have to rein it in. And it is going to be tight, I imagine, for maybe two years. And it, it, it is going to hurt, but the, like the economy does a cycle. It's like every 10, 12 years. We haven't had something like this for probably that period of time. I think they should partly subsidise it, but I think uh, I think the real issue is to be able to get these long-term energy plans into place and quickly so that future generations aren't held hostage to this problem. I mean, the interesting thing, um, Tom, was when you had talked about the cost of living, they had very clear sense of the specifics of uh, of what was going up and the impact and what it was going to add to their bills, even um, uh, some of the measures that Rishi Sinak announced in the spring statement last week, even though I don't think any of them said they'd watched it or really seen, it, seen anything directly about it. Yeah, what, what I thought was really interesting about that, Matt, was the fact that it's almost a double whammy on the cost of living that 
I think hasn't been fully appreciated yet that the first stage has very much been food and fuel and that energy hasn't kicked in yet, even though the Chancellor has done something on it. The next stage that some of the people in the focus group really appreciated, but some of them, I think, hadn't um, hadn't factored in fully yet, is this energy price increase that's coming in April and then presumably again in October. And I think that should really, really worry the government that, that even though voters are already quite um, stressed about this and quite angry, there's much, much more to come and it hasn't been priced in yet. Um, politically, because I mentioned you used to work for the Conservative Party uh, directly as well. Politically, it's a slightly weird thing, isn't it? Because to some extent, if you're being completely cynical, you'd say to Rishi Sunak, don't do anything now because there'll be demands for you to do something in October. And if you do it now, you'll have to do something else on top of that in October. So you have to sort of sit tight and know you're going to get a load of grief now just to try and ameliorate something later on. Yeah, it's a really, tr- really tough one. The The people we spoke to last night wanted help now. But as you say, they're almost certainly going to want more help um, in the autumn, in the, in the late summer and in the autumn. So it's a really tough one for the Chancellor to navigate. All I would say that we can say for certain from this group is that the, or the laissez-faire attitude that the government should just stay out of it and let voters um, pay for the increased cost of inflation is not one that is widely held. I don't know if it's the pandemic. Um, I don't know if we, we didn't take a measure of this before the pandemic, but something uh, means that these these voters think it's the government's job to take the edge off the cost of living crisis. They don't think they should do you know, make them whole, as Rishi yeah. Sunak said yesterday. But these voters very much look to government to solve these problems. And in particular, obviously, one of the big announcements last week from Rishi Sunak was uh, cutting 5p uh, from a litre of fuel, cutting fuel duty by 5p. Uh, obviously, it's after years of uh, chancellors freezing fuel duty. Um, but for again, for lots of uh, voters, there was this sense that, yes, he's done something, but it's not enough. Let's take a listen. Nowhere near enough, no. Nowhere near enough. And I, I don't think it should come out of the... Uh, he, he shouldn't de- deduct it that way. He should get a bit more off the big oil producers. Shell, BP, come on, they're making billions. Payback time. It works out. It's like 50p... Uh, sorry, about two and a half quid a, a tank full up, you know, which is, which, which is nothing that isn't going to help. I, I get I get more off with a Morrison's voucher. Right. Yeah, me, with an extra point. <laughs> yeah, nothing. It's not enough, is it? It's not enough. I love that line about um, you get more off with a Morrison's voucher than you do with the government, um, Tom. Um, the interesting thing as well with him, the car, him fitting up his car had got cut through. The, well, not his car, famously, of course. Yeah, anything like this is bound, any kind of uh, process story like this is bound to get a little bit of cut through. Um, I didn't get the sense, though, that in, on, in any of those um, clips, people were really offended, I think. They will all people will always tell you, especially if you ask a polling question, you know, do you want more of X? Of course, I want more. Of course, I want more help. But um, and it is a danger. It is a danger for government to do to make these moves because people will always ask for more. But I I didn't feel that there was any great offence there caused by (laughs) these changes. They were going in the right direction. The really interesting thing is one of the big trends, I'd say the two big trends of us doing the uh, focus groups over the past 18 months has been a willingness to give Boris Johnson the benefit of the doubt, which is definitely, that seems to be on the wane. And everybody loved Rishi Sunak. 
Uh, they thought yeah. he was smart and cool and nice, and he gave us all eat out to help out and furlough money and all of that. But let's take a listen now as this, this cost of living crisis is biting. Let's take a listen to what the group th- think of the Chancellor now. Uh, I'll be honest, probably a bit stupid. I don't know too much about who they are. Well, the job he's got, he's not a very good mathematician, which I would have thought should have gone with the job. His okay. figures don't weigh up. Um, I just don't think he's for me. <clears throat> he cannot um, personally relate uh, to the situation that we're in. So um, I, I think, you know, he, he lives in cloud cuckoo land. You know, he, he's not short of money, etc. So he doesn't, he can't relate to people struggling, I don't think. I think he's a potential future leader. I think he's got the kudos from the uh, pandemic assistance and the furlough. Lately, I don't think he's very fair. Potential to, to lead, but he needs to stop listening to others. Well, there we are. Um, is the sheen coming off Rishi Sunak, Tom? It is a little bit. Um, I suppose, what's your baseline for a Chancellor who's uh, in a cost of living crisis and delivering very bad economic news, really? Um, I think could be worse, but certainly there was still some positivity there and a few who saw him as a future leader of the Conservative Party. So I wouldn't be too distressed by that if I was Rishi Sunak. And actually, last week was the first big test of his uh, Labour opponent as well, Rachel Reeves, of course, his shadow chancellor. She got the job back in uh, last spring. Um, uh, but it was the first time that she'd got to, to go at him in a big, high-profile uh, event. Let's take a listen to see what voters make of Rachel Reeves. Uh, I've seen her at the dispatch box in the budget or the mini-budget. I didn't think much to her uh, um, name-calling uh, Rishi as a Tory from the 1970s or 80s. I, th- I think if she's to make an impact, she's got to make her arguments relevant. Can't okay. voice an opinion, really. I've only heard her on the dispatch box, and that's about it. Well, there we are. Um, not, not. I mean, it's early days, I suppose, for Rachel Reeves, uh, Tom. But I mean, she, so far at least, she doesn't appear to be having the same impact as, as you know, your Gordon Browns and your George Osborns. Yeah, file this one under opposition is really hard because <laughs> no, nobody, nobody has heard of Rachel Reeves. Um, we got one person who unprompted could tell us who she was, and, and then a chap who came in at the end there who, when we said who she was, he could recall something about her. But the other the other um, five people didn't know who she was. And it's so hard because, as I said, Labour need to make that positive case to people. And if you, you can't get your um, shadow front bench to cut through with people, then it's so hard to do that. So it's just a lesson in how difficult opposition politics is, really. Yeah, it's a really good lesson. And the extent to which people, you know, they pay attention if the guy, the dispatch box is giving you money or taking money away, less so if the woman on the opposite side is saying, well, I wouldn't do that. Um, uh, It's a different thing to get cut through. Um, Just a response to this. Ian's been in touch, asking a bunch of thickos about politics, lowbrow stuff. Times Radio asks people with something between their ears. Ian takes a delightful approach to... uh, the general public. Um, just remind us again, Tom, why this is useful and actually asking normal people what they... I mean, I, I genuinely think this is one of the most useful things for me that we do on Times Radio as a reminder of what's getting cut through, what are voters noticing, what are they talking about? Yeah, it's absolutely vital to talk to these uh, voters because if you just read Twitter and if you just look at what um, the newspapers say, 
you get a completely skewed um, idea of what the ordinary public think about politics and politicians. There's a real kind of common sense that comes through in these groups, and I can't tell you how useful they are. There we are. Thank you, Ian. The the design thinker on Twitter, apparently. People pay us to do them, Matt, so they must... Uh, must exactly right, exactly right, exactly. Tom, just remind us where these voters were from again. Um, Doncaster, Bristol and Derby. Very good. Uh, and it's a group of, like I said, uh, four, uh, swing voters. We should mark the fact that it is what? It's, it's exactly five years on from Brexit. How could we forget? Uh, <laughs> uh, I was really, because it's amazing, like you were saying, that voters can move on and some things stick and some don't. Remembering all of the dramas we went through with, with Brexit, it was just brilliant when you asked them, what do you make of Brexit now? I forgot all about it. I totally forgot about Brexit. That went out my head. You know, Brexit was like kicking off. It was all happening. And then COVID. And then that's what everybody's focus was on. So, again, total distraction. We're, we're, I wish it never happened. And I, I, I think it put us back two, okay. three years. Gone from globalisation dreams. And now Putin's ruined it all. The okay. idea of globalisation <laughs> with China and Russia is just not happening. Uh, I'm the same, really. I haven't thought about it in a long time. But I also just wish it hadn't happened. Well, there we are. Um, uh, amazing the extent it's been... Lo- so, yeah, just remembering March the 29th was such a massive thing. We were going to leave. It was triggered on March the 29th. We were going to leave on March the 29th. We didn't leave on March the 29th. Um, it is, to what extent, Tom, do you think Brexit will play any part in the next election based on, on those comments? Um, it's possible it will come back in some form, but not in the, not in the straight... Um, leave remain argument that obviously we're so used to these voters are engaged as i see it anyway in a kind of self-help they've put this traumatic brexit issue in the past for them and tried to move on and try to get on with their lives essentially and they do not want to talk about it there's the last i came to it right at the end and they did not want to talk about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on the clock and uh, doing something yeah. else. Uh, right then, finally, because there's always a good sort of forward-looking thing. Uh, they've had their moans, they've had their whinges, they've said what they think about, you know, various things. But if they were given the opportunity to send a message mm. direct to the party leaders, what would it be? This was the message from the focus group to Boris Johnson. Admit he was wrong with his parties and face criminal charges like any normal person would have done. Stop lying and get on with it. Grow up and resign. The Northern Powerhouse, they gave you a huge mandate to start looking after us. Back on with what you're doing. Do your best. Get through this war, then step forward and stand trial. Put yourself in our shoes, you know, the normal people's shoes. Really interesting that, um, Tom. Partygate again coming through without you raising it. And this slight sense, I mean, it's not quite any more the sort of the fun Boris Johnson everyone wanted to go to the pub with. No, it's really interesting because people who on Twitter would say, well, we always find people, voters who give the government the benefit of the doubt. These voters can do two things at once. They give the government the benefit of the doubt on difficult decisions, but yet they still want... Uh, justice to be served on Boris Johnson for for Partygate is absolutely fascinating. And this was before the Met um, said anything about um, issuing fines to anyone. These voters hadn't heard any of that news. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing how that's uh, that's getting cut through. Well, in the interest of balance, let's find out what the voters, the message voters wanted to send to Keir Starmer. 
stop flip flopping about and let's start having some policies so we can vote for you again. Just yeah, just try and sort himself out, appeal more to Labour voters. He's doing a very good job of ripping into the Tories and ripping them apart. But come up with some answers, some alternatives, then we may be able to listen to you. Don't be so arrogant and think about the people. Put your money where your mouth is and do what you're going to what what you promise you say you will do. Don't don't promise us the world if you're not gonna deliver. It was a solution, not a problem. It's interesting this, Tom. It feels as if the door is they are at least open to listening to Keir Starmer. They just don't quite like so far what they hear from him. Yeah, they're looking to hear something really positive about him. But the difficulty there is it's not really actionable advice, is it? It's hard to see what exactly Keir Starmer can do at this point. They want a big policy. They want something that cuts through to them that they can feel positive about. And they may get it, but they haven't heard it yet. And um, it's hard to see exactly what that is at the moment. And what advice, would, if you were, were still working the Tory party, advising Boris Johnson or, or advising Keir Starmer, what, would you, what advice would you be giving them right now, sort of pulling all that together, like you said, into something practical? Boris Johnson's in a very, very difficult position, much as I think he's in suspended animation with Westminster um, journalists and um, op-ed writers. I think he has to find a way to move through this party gate. Um, I don't know if that's an apology, uh, if, if, I, if it's public publica- publication of the full Sue Gray report, but he has to find a way to move through because these voters are not going to forget. And as I say, Keir Starmer just has to find that one silver bullet that cuts through to these voters and that they can hang on to when they're thinking about him in a positive context. I think they're really desperate to find uh, a leader that they, they, they think is good and that is on their side, shares their values. But at the moment, they haven't found that with Keir Starmer and he needs to convince them. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 